Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM, who have given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM. Their pages dedicated to ESG, Impact Investment, DE and I and more. And we really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so that their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity and inclusion debate. So thank you to City AM. Now, I'm delighted today because I'm joined by two stellar guests. Our first guest is Philip Olangunju and Rebecca Ajulu Bushel. Let me tell you a bit about each of them. Philip is the head of corporate finance at PEM, the oldest and largest independent consultancy practice in Cambridge in the UK. Established in 1875, Philip was appointed as the firm's first ever partner of African Caribbean descent. He advises entrepreneurial mid-market businesses on sales, acquisitions, valuations, equity transactions, strategic reviews, and fundraising projects. And in 2021, he was named Dealmaker of the Year at the Insider Central and East of England Dealmaker Awards. He also sits on the advisory board for Lendo, a tech-enabled lending platform with a particular focus on black, early stage, and ethnic minority entrepreneurs. So Philip, we're delighted you could join us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing you know, what you're up to and the advice you're giving uh, mid-market entrepreneurs as well. I, I very much sit in that category myself. So can't wait to hear what you have to say. Uh, but before we do, our second guest today is Rebecca Ajulu Bushel. She is the chief executive of the 10,000 Interns Foundation and oversees two really key programmes. One is the 10,000 Interns, the second 10,000 Able Interns. She's the founder of NKG, a communications and media agency working on social change projects. And she's a recognized commentator on diversity in institutional spaces. She's also a former world number one, becoming the first black woman to swim for Team GB. And I've also recently heard that she's been named one of Forbes 30 under 30 leaders in the social impact category. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. It is an honor to be here. So I'm really curious to know what you're up to at the moment. Rebecca, let me come to you. What are you focused on right now? Well, the 10,000 Interns Foundation is all about championing underrepresented talent. We started with our program for young black students and graduates two and a half years ago now, back in 2020. And it just grew and grew. I mean, there was a real appetite, frankly, at that point in time, following the re-eruption of the BLM movement. And as our organization grew, we recognized the need to meet uh, other diversity challenges. Um, So we started with ethnicity, facing black and black heritage students. And then we launched a program for disabled students and graduates of all ethnicities. And with this second program, we recognized how much intersectionality comes into play and how important that is in the DE&I conversation. What we're really thinking about now is how we can deepen our engagement with these underrepresented talent groups and kind of champion a full intersection of students and talent going into those early career spaces. Well, we're definitely going to get into a lot of that as we go through the discussion. I have so many questions for you, so prepare yourself. (laughs) 
Look, before we do, Philip, I'm really curious to know what you're up to. You were talking uh, in your biography about the advice you give uh, mid-sized firms in the UK, but also your work on the advisory board. Tell me what you're focused on right now. Yeah, so it's really interesting to hear Rebecca speak so eloquently about the work that the 10,000 interns are doing. I guess that's almost like a, a holistic, panoramic view. What I'm focused on is how I can implement, influence and change things, the boots on the ground from a regional advisory perspective. It's not the most diverse space in, in, in the UK economic ecosystem, right? And so I'm primarily focused on how I can increase diversity within my team. About 20% of the team are female. So in terms of hiring behaviours and attitudes and approaches, I'm constantly thinking about how can I increase the gender diversity within um, regional M&A and corporate finance, which as I say, traditionally, historically, has been very limited and, and homogenous in that view. Um, and about a third of, of my team are ethnic minority global majority. So again, I'm thinking, how can I, um, in the spaces that I now occupy, be an advocate for change in terms of being attractional for um, ethnic minority global majority candidates who might not see themselves in a role within regional M&A and, and corporate finance. So really, I'm, I'm primarily focused in a DNI context of, of trying to um, encourage and influence uh, people to come into these spaces that they may see as being prohibitive to them, for sure. And one of the things that really attracted me to, uh, as I was doing my preparation for the show, was there's a real risk in my mind that the DNI conversation could centre around cities particularly the capital city. And it's really important that we drive this change right the way out through the regions as well. So I've got, again, many questions for you on that as well, because we really have to, to get to the grassroots level. And of course, the, the role of leadership and role modelling comes through very, very clearly. Um, Rebecca, can I, can I come to you sort of with my next question, if I may, which is, um, I'm really curious to, to think about uh, some of the insights that you must have gained Will you be working with the 10,000 Interns Foundation and the, the different programs you're running? Um, and, and talk to us about sort of some of the work you're doing, some of the insights you've gained, but also areas where you need support. Super interesting to hear your discussion with Philip there about, you know, moving away from the square mile, moving away from being London-centric. That's something that we've tried to really do as the program has grown. We are now all over the UK. Um, and I think what's also become really important to us is that our program's not just open to UK nationals. A lot of students who come through the 10,000 Black Interns program, um, you know, are African students from the continent, just like me, where I grew up, um, and they are attending UK universities. And we need to do better as a country um, at welcoming those students into workplaces um, and into those early careers jobs, even if it's just industry insight whilst they're studying here. So we're really focused on making sure that our barriers to entry are as low as possible. Um, that means we take the broadest possible view of education. You're eligible for our program if you are 18 plus with a confirmed place at university in any year of study, undergrad, postgrad, or three years recently graduated. So we get a huge intersectionality um, in terms of age, in terms of diversity of experience, and it means that our talent pools are really diverse as well. Um, I think what's the most, probably the most interesting thing about the program is 
you know, really asking firms to change in the direction of this talent, right? So what we're saying to them is, you know, here's a talent slate of young black students, for example, on our 10 KBI program. Um, and they come from all different kinds of universities and they might have all different kinds of degrees and they might have all different levels of exposure to industry. But we want you to consider them as talented individuals who can add a diverse perspective to your workplace because we know that diverse workplaces equals better outcomes. When we realized we had this kind of great model, we've been very method and metrics focused, really trying to produce impact at scale from the very, very first moments this year. We've now had 26,000 applicants come through our programs um, in just three years. And we aim to create a minimum 2,000 paid internships every single year. Um, we tell our firms to sign up. You have to pledge an internship that's at least six weeks long and pays at a minimum local living wage. Um, and then the launch of the pilot for disabled program, you know, was another challenge as well. Obviously, it's not a question of just replicating the same thing again, you know, not all minority statuses are made equal. Um, and we also know that the disabled community doesn't have a unified identity in the same way that the black community does, for example. So we face lots of challenges in learning as a team and learning from the people in the sector who've been doing this work for much longer than we have. So we've partnered with the DCC, the Disabilities Charities Consortium of the UK, that Scope, Mind, MenCap, RNID, and we're learning with our firms, you know, that poses the biggest challenge, um, especially for big organizations, their large ships it takes a long time for them to turn. Um, but I think what we're saying to people is, you know, you might not always get it right, but you have to try and you have to keep up um, and you have to keep putting resources into this because otherwise you will get left behind. Yeah, one of the things that's come out really loudly and clearly in, in the conversations we've been having, particularly centred around disability, is this this wonderful realisation that when you, when you and I say this with inverted comma fingers, when you get it right for your employees with disability, you get it right for everybody. And I'm really curious about, you know, you're saying there about how your sort of engagement with corporates, it's almost kind of like you're learning together. That feedback loop, is, are you getting some really strong insights from the organisations about what they need from you as much as you are about what you need from them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest question, you know, that people always have is how do we know we're doing it right? And then when we drill down into that, the challenge that firms face is in disclosure. And the other challenge that they face is in making reasonable adjustments within a reasonable period of time. And those two things really feed into one another, right? Because if you've got disabled people in a workplace, one of whom has disclosed their disability and is making reasonable adjustments on that basis. And another disabled person sees that it takes 20 weeks for them to get the software that they need to on their computer. You know, that's going to hinder disclosure. And what we see from firms and what we're trying to do as we become more and more data rich each year as we, you know, have more and more people pass through our programs is really gain insights on how we can promote better disclosure um, which is a culture issue as much as it is a practical and reactive thing. And it's fascinating listening to you speak there because it flows into two really big things in my mind. One of them is about workplace culture 
and also workplace adjustments and, and environment. Also in about enlightened leadership, which we talk a lot about uh, in, in the industry. And, and Philip, can I bring you in here? Because I'm curious to, to, to understand a bit more about your background as well. Did you come through on any sort of an internship program? What's your experience of being coming into the workplace? And then also you know, listening to Rebecca's remarks there about leadership, culture and, and environment. Um, love to get your thoughts too. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I went to Loughborough University. I did a four-year degree, uh, a third year being a year in, in industry. So no, not so much an internship, but certainly um, a, a year placement, which gave me a fabulous early insight into the world of professional services. And I was fortunate enough to do that with Johnson & Johnson, one of the largest companies in the world. So right right off the bat, as, as being a um, London-centric um, uh, guy who was seizing opportunities as when they they came that the the university program um, j- just gave me a, a really um, strong insight into into the world of work and uh, look it wasn't just the degree program right for faith plays a huge role in in my life and I had lots of support around people in my church older men and women who had gone before me so I was able to plug into their experience and through through informal, unofficial mentoring, I was able to very quickly partner with people to give me vicarious insight into their experience. And, and that situation rolls forward to today. Dawid Konate Ahulu, who is one of the founders of 10,000 uh, Interns Nation, he, he's, in he's a member of Jubilee Church, I'm also a member of Jubilee Church, so I've been able to um, develop a relationship with him. Um, it's a friendship more so, but I'm able to pick his brains, his fabulous brains, in terms of his experience, not only in the world of financial services, but also as a, as a mixed ethnic man trying to navigate these spaces, right? So uh, I'm hugely cognizant of the fact that I'm fortunate to have these mentors and, and, and these people around me that I can plug into. Um, and and, and, and then look, LinkedIn, I think, is a fabulous opportunity as well for people to reach out to um, others who might look like them or read their bio. You can see they've, they've walked a similar path or come from a similar background. That's certainly something that I did. I leveraged that platform looking at black and mixed race men who were in financial services, who had gone before me, who were in, in, in senior positions of leadership and influence and was able to as the youngsters say, shoot my shot and, and, and slide into some DMs <laughs> to, to ask for some support. And, and you know, thankfully, in, invariably, 10 times out of 10 people will come back in some sort of capacity. So when you talk about my experiences and how I was able to navigate um, my, my career pathway, certainly those factors can't come into it. And then obviously it flows into, into culture and, and into how I now see myself as a leader so whenever I'm approached by younger people on, on LinkedIn or whatever social media platform that I'm leveraging um, I have to play it forward I absolutely have to pour into them as others have poured into me for sure for sure and what's wonderful about listening to the two of you speak I mean the one one is a is a program structure foundation you know initiative the other sort of message I'm getting is about personal proactivity and of course it's, it's a wonderful message to our audience about 
the potential of both, how they can really help. Your network is one of your greatest career tools, but also you have to take the initiative. Take the initiative and, and, and don't be afraid to ask and to find your mentors and, and look up to your role models, but also role models you know, and, and, and uh, senior leaders, you have a duty of responsibility and to pay it forward, uh, your, to use your expression, which is really important. I wonder if I could just um, move the conversation on just, just a fraction, which is, um, uh, we picked up on this a little bit already, which is uh, D&I being very sort of London-centric or capital city-centric um, or major city-centric. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts, Philip, I could stay with you about... Um, Regional career development, and then also how you know. Do you see any differences about how DNI is being embraced by organisations? Maybe some of the clients that you advise, the organisations that you know uh, across the UK. Look, I think there's a cascading dynamic at play here, which isn't always helpful. What do I mean by that? From my perspective, I think there are two elements at play here. You've got big corporates seemingly supporting DNI. Um, initiatives and then the smaller companies kind of follow suit so that's one dynamic at play and the other dynamic is um, London being seen as the epicenter for activity um, and I'm probably being disparaging to the likes of Manchester and Birmingham and the other larger regional players uh, out there but certainly London seems to be where it all originates from and then the other cities sort of follow suit and so I think what what happens is Cities like Cambridge, other cities in and around the East Anglian region, um, that they're, they're not always marching to the same drumbeat that's coming out from London. And equally, smaller organisations are sort of catching up with the larger organisations. So I think initiatives like the 10,000 interns, whether it's the Blacker interns or whether it's Able uh, interns, um, it's just a fantastic way to, to raise um profile and raise awareness in other um, areas of the UK which may not be up to speed in the way that London seems to be. And so, you know, it, it, in my experience, DNI seems to be concentrated with a big city and big corporate focus. Um, and, and there are plenty of regional initiatives that are at play here. And so to your second half of your question, Julia, around career development, Again, from my perspective, I can't see that small organisations within these regional cities are following suit and adopting things like 10,000 interns. So it's all about the individual showing that initiative and proactivity. But it's a circular argument. How can a young black or mixed race man or woman trying to navigate their career show proactivity if they're not seeing leaders and people of influence in their organisations? from a similar perspective, right, in terms of how they look or backgrounds. It's not only just about what you look like, it's about socioeconomic similarities as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from, from, from a Cambridge-centric focus, which is obviously where, where my firm is based, I'm seeing lots of individuals who are having to travel into London to attend award shows that are focused on shining a spotlight on um, the DNI initiatives or, or people who are championing DNI initiatives within their organisations. But again, that's just a reinforcement of them having to travel into London and normally the people who are being celebrated are working for big banks or big corporates when I know firsthand that there are people in the regions who aren't necessarily getting that spotlight, but they're doing some fantastic work, boots on the ground, not least being representative of their groups, right? Because it's hard work when you're the only or when you're the first 
in a in a space that hasn't been created for you in mind in the first place. And earlier when you were speaking, Philip, I could see, uh, for the benefit of the audience, uh, I'm recording this on Zoom, I could see Rebecca nodding. So I'd love to get you know, bring you in immediately, if you would, uh, in terms of your thoughts yeah. about regional differences. You know, I have first-hand experience trying to make a really um, meaningful impact to the students who apply to our programmes who aren't based in London. Um, and that's with the 10,000 Interns Foundation. And we do a lot of work to try and feed region matching into our algorithm. Um, you can imagine we get 13,000 applications a year. It's not easy. Um, but actually, I think I want to talk a little bit about my work with NKG. So um, I grew up in Nairobi, but my parents moved back to the UK uh, when I was about 17. And they now live in Gloucestershire. As you can imagine, I'm one of the only black faces in that area when I go home. We were doing a lot of social impact work with NKG. We were working with charities just like 10,000 Interns Foundation to platform their message, um, to showcase their impact and to help them kind of do that storytelling piece. What's really important to mention when you're thinking about areas that aren't metropolitan, London, um, London-centric, is that the context for race-based work or work around diversity, equity and inclusion is different. Um, the story is different. The profile of minorities is different in those spaces. And I think that we need to do a lot of work to recognize that as well, um, that we need to meet people where they're at and not try and pull the conversation forwards to a place that is similar to, you know, metropolitan London, where people have the lexicon and we have the resources and we have the melding pot of nationalities. Where I'm from in Gloucestershire, the race work that we did was very, very different and equally as challenging, but for very different reasons. And that's because there's a smaller profile of black people in rural areas of the UK, for example. But diversity isn't just race. We know this. And there's huge aging population in those areas that are cut off um, through digital divides. There is a lot of visible and invisible disability, bad transport routes. Like there are loads and loads of reasons why the D&I conversation is lagging behind it's important not to kind of point the finger and say, you know, you guys need to get up to speed. But as Dowd always says, you know, lift as you climb. And that's something that's baked into the fabric of 10,000 Interns Foundation. Uh, we have to bring people along with us or we're not going to see the rate of change that we want. And I think that's a great moment to pause the conversation where we bring in Cynthia Akinsanya, who has, has some research to support the discussion. Learn Academy's 2023 article on how to start a successful internship programme highlights that they require careful planning, effective communication, and a clear understanding of your goals. Implementing an internship programme can bring several benefits to an organisation, and here are five main advantages. Number one, build a talent pipeline. Number two, increase diversity. Number three, mentor junior hires. Number four, promote a culture of learning and this can create a positive work environment where employees feel valued and supported. And number five, increase productivity. Interns can help increase productivity within your organisation by taking on important tasks and projects. By building a talent pipeline, increasing diversity, mentoring junior highs, promoting a culture of learning and increasing productivity, internship programs can help organizations grow and succeed.
And thank you as always to Cynthia for the insights from the research. And let me take a few moments to remind everybody how to find Diverse City Podcast. Links to all our research can be found on our website, diversecitypodcast.com. Don't forget that's diversity with a C. It's about financial services, Diverse City Podcast, where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter, D-E-N-I, that's caught our eye, when we share news stories and updates so you can stay right on top of what's current. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Diverse City Podcast is available on all good podcast channels. And you know, we'd love a rating. We're enormously proud of our five-star rating. We would love a rating because it all helps to broaden the reach and to promote the show. It's been a phenomenal conversation so far. And I'm really curious because we've, we've thought about the dynamics of the UK. We've talked about some of your amazing work. We've heard about sort of Philip's personal pathway and also uh, role as a, as a leader and, and, and you know, uh, paying it forward uh, and, and, and helping people as you grow came through very, very clearly. I wonder what some of the barriers are. And Philip, I wonder if I can come to you first of all. What do you see as being the biggest barriers for change across the regions? Just an unwillingness to, you know, just you know, a desire to remain with the status quo. Um, you know, Rebecca spoke so eloquently about the, the need to change the approach to DNI education on a regional basis. And there are some regions where ethnic ethnic diversity isn't isn't high on the list of, of agendas to, to approach and so a huge barrier is yep an unwillingness to change um a quick anecdote you've got you've got lions in the serengeti and they've been eating antelopes for many years uh, and the antelope turned around and say we've had enough of being eaten we've had enough of being eaten um it's not incumbent upon the antelopes to drive change it's incumbent upon the lions to so uh, if there's a willingness to change then change will be evident, I think. What do you tell people who are facing these kind of barriers? I look at this from two angles. I guess the first is the companies need to take this upon themselves as something that needs to remain front and centre. It's an absolute priority, and that's exactly what Philip's saying. You know, they are the people, they are the institutions that need to drive that change. And I guess my message is what gets measured gets done. Really take the data seriously but not only that challenge yourself within it if the data is telling you that you are doing just okay do better if you find interesting things within the data for example you're laying people off and you found that the majority of people that have come up for layoffs are your ethnic minorities ask yourself why why is that and course correct do something about it immediately i think from the other perspective um which is that of the change makers and the advocates it's really really important to keep finding ways to raise the conversation and that means taking the most nuanced and specific approach possible um i think it's really easy to bang the dni drum but we need real stories from real people um to connect with people and to make the difference and that's why it's been phenomenal having you both on the show uh, to be honest because i'm just sitting here literally hanging on your every word listening to, to your stories and your passion for the topic and and we must never diminish that ever we will always continue to talk about it but i am concerned you know if i if i'm really honest we're going through very tough economic times people have got to make decisions about resources and uh, budgets and where they're going to commit their time effort uh, and so i would love to hear from each of you about your compelling reason why this absolutely must stay at the very top of the corporate agenda. And Rebecca, I'm coming to you first. I think that it comes back to diversity of thought and 
a challenging environment that is going to drive change. Um, you know, the things that have brought us to the present moment aren't going to be the things that take us to the future. Uh, the challenges that we face as a, as a whole society, as a global society, um, they require diverse voices to find problems, the solutions to the problems that we face. And, you know, what is very, very clear is that the people who hold those solutions are not the people who are currently represented in the boardroom. And if corporates want to win the profit race, they need to win a diversity race too. I love the way you brought it back to commercial imperative, because that's what, particularly in the world of financial services, everybody's paying attention to. And there's such a compelling reason about why this matters. Rekha, thank you. Uh, Philip, I'd love to ask you the same question. Why must this remain high on the corporate agenda? Studies show that diverse boards and backgrounds contribute positively towards company performance. And equally, we've seen groupthink and homogenous boards arguably perform poorly. So uh, diversity is a commercial benefit. It, it, it flows down to your bottom line. I'm a leader of a team. I want my team to be diverse, not just because I wanted to resemble um, uh, a United Colours of, of Benetton type representation. No, I, I want different ideas to result in different and better outcomes for our clients, but also for, for my department. So diversity is a no-brainer for me. Well, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Uh, Rebecca Ajuda Bushel, the CEO of 10,000 Interns Foundation. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And Philip Olagudju, the Head of Corporate Finance at PEM. Thank you for all your insights today. Honour, privilege. It's been fun. Thank you. And of course, to all our listeners, thank you for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion as much as I have. I've been Julia Streets. Thank you for listening to Diversity Podcast. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by Roshan Roberts on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests from this week's show on our website. That's www.diversitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C and not an S. Whilst you were there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. And finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.